How do you handle difficult times? What do you do when trouble comes into your life? What is your first response to difficulty and adversity? Well, I've been thinking about that lately, and I think there are three primary ways that the world tends to deal with problems and difficulties and challenges in life. Sometimes people, when they're facing a real problem, they just simply give up and they say, good night, this is more than I can handle, and I'm just going to give up and not even try to, uh, to fight through this. And we know that's not the response that God would have us to take. Sometimes, though, people do something different than that. They try to escape their difficulty. And I think that's what a lot of sin really is. I think the reason that a lot of people get involved with drugs and alcohol and all kinds of immorality is because they're going through some difficulty in their life and by participating in those other activities, those sinful activities in their mind, they can get a little temporary escape from it. That, that's really what sin is at its core. It is an escape from reality. It's a temporary escape from reality that has serious consequences, but I think there are a lot of people who are doing things that they otherwise wouldn't be doing, but they're just doing them trying to escape the difficulties and problems that they're facing. And then the third response that the world would have or that people in the world would have to difficult situations in life is just to try to fix the problem. You know, here we have a situation, here we have a problem, and so what we're going to do, we're going to just fix it. Well, it is true that sometimes in life we face challenges and, and difficulties and adversities, and we, there is something we can do, and there's something we should do to try to make things right or to try to remedy the problem. But sometimes in life, we come up against things that we cannot fix. We, there are problems in life that we can't solve, and I think sometimes God allows these problems into our lives. In fact, I know this is true, just so that we will literally come to the end of ourselves and we will have to turn to him for help. My name's John Redman. I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today on Peace by Believing, we're going to be thinking about the proper way to respond to difficulties in life. What does the Bible say? God would never tell us to give up. God would never tell us to escape our difficulties and try to escape reality. And God would not tell us to go out there and fix everything because God knows full well there are lots of things we can't fix. And so today on our program, we're going to be thinking about what to do during difficult times. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open it to the book of James in the New Testament. We'll be looking in chapter 5 today. And on today's program, we're going to be thinking about three positive things that we can do that will help us greatly during the difficult times of life. Now, what I'm saying is God can speak to us through any means he chooses to speak to us. And today, I may be the means through which God speaks to you. And what God is saying to you through me today, wait, wait, you wait until you get a green light from God, until you hear the all clear from God, and then you move forward. Now, the question is, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting on? Well, we're either waiting on, cert certainly what we're waiting on is for Jesus to come through for us, for him to heal a sickness or to solve a problem or to meet a need. But you know, there's another sense 
that as we go through life, whether we're having problems or not, as Christians, we should be every day eagerly waiting and anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. In those three verses that we just read, in fact, if you look back in James 5, in verses 7, 8, and 9, three times he refers to the coming of the Lord. In verse 7, therefore be patient, brethren, for the coming of the Lord. In other words, what James was saying is, you guys, are, you people are going through a difficult time. You're being persecuted for your faith in Jesus. And I know you're waiting for God to protect you or work this situation out, which he, he most likely will do here even on earth. But what you need to wait for, even above that problem being solved, you need to wait on the Lord to return. Verse 8, at the end of the verse, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The coming of the Lord is near. In verse 9, at the very end of the verse, behold, the judge is standing at the door. And so he describes Jesus as the judge, and he's saying Jesus is standing at the door of heaven, and he's about to open that door and step out of heaven, and the, there's going to be a shout from heaven and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the Christians who are on the earth are going to be caught up to be with the Lord, and it could happen any day. You know, one of the things, I'm firmly convinced of this, that we don't live with, that early Christians lived with is an expectancy that Jesus Christ could come at any moment. I don't, not enough. We don't think about, I mean, we know one day Jesus is going to come, but we think, well, you know, he's coming one day, but he made that promise 2,000 years ago, and he hadn't come back yet. And so I think in our minds, we just probably, even though we wouldn't say it, we just think, well, I know he's coming, but probably not going to be in my lifetime. Did you know when you read about the life of, for example, the Apostle Paul, he lived with an expectancy that Jesus Christ could return at any moment? The Apostle Paul firmly believed that Jesus Christ could return in his lifetime. You say, well, I guess he was wrong. No, he wasn't wrong. Jesus could have come back in his lifetime if he wanted to, but he didn't do it. But Paul lived. And see, when you live thinking, you know what? Jesus Christ could come today. I mean, before this day's over, I could be in heaven. Well, that change, I mean, that kind of puts your problems in perspective, and it helps you to know, hey, Jesus, I mean, it certainly makes us not want to sin because we think Jesus could come at any moment. I don't want the judge to step out the door and call me up to be with him if I'm doing something I ought not to be doing. And so we should wait and be expecting Jesus could come at any moment. You know, the Puritans, if I can fast forward about 1,600 years from the Apostle Paul, the Puritans living in England at that time, they were, they were a group of Christians. They were called Puritans because they wanted to be pure. They broke away from the established church in England. In fact, many of the pilgrims who came over on the Mayflower, they were Puritans, and they came to this country trying to find religious freedom and religious liberty. Many Puritans, every morning when they woke up, now, they, worked, they lived out on farms, and they, they worked hard all day, but when they woke up in the morning, they would walk over to the window of their bedroom, they would look out the window and look up at the sky, and here's what they would say. Maybe today, Lord. Maybe today. In other words, they would begin their day saying, Lord, today may be the day that you return. Think about that. Maybe today, Lord. Maybe today. I wonder how many of us, when we drove to church this morning, like when I, for example, when I drove to church, I was driving down Fairmont Parkway. I was driving east, and the Lord's coming back from the east. 
And sometime when I'm driving looking east, I think about that, but I didn't, it didn't cross my mind this morning. I wonder if there's anybody here today getting ready to come to church, driving to church, if in any of our minds we were thinking, maybe today, Lord, maybe today. Let's just say those words together. Maybe today, Lord, maybe today. And then those Puritans would go out and work in the farm and work in the field all day, come back home, have dinner, get ready for bed, walk back in that same bedroom, look out that same window, look up at that same sky. Now it was dark at night. And here's what they would say before they went to bed. Maybe tonight, Lord, maybe tonight. I mean, you see, when you live expecting Jesus could come at any moment. All these things we were in fret about, it puts it in perspective because those problems could end just like that if Jesus would come today. And so that's how we want to live. So if a farmer were here today, he would say to us, be patient. Now, there's a second example that James gives here. It's not the farmer, but it's the prophets. And he's talking about prophets who lived back in Old Testament times, men who served God and who we would call them preachers. And look what James says in verse number 10. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. And James is saying to us, hey, I know you're having problems, but remember the prophets Because you're not the first person who had a problem. You know, sometimes in life we have a problem and we get to thinking we're the only person who's ever had a problem. And the devil wants us to think that. Nobody's had it quite like you. Nobody's facing exactly what you're facing. And we kind of throw a pity party for ourselves. But when we stop to think, wait a second. I'm not the first person who ever have a problem, and I won't be the last. Even the prophets of God in Old Testament times. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. For Jeremiah, it was worse. He was stoned. Isaiah was sawn in two. I mean, here are men who devoted their lives to God, and yet they served God, and some of them even died for their faith. And James is saying, if they were in Pasadena, Texas today, and if Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and these other prophets could speak, what they, whereas the farmer would say, be patient, these prophets would say, stay faithful. Stay faithful. You see, when we're going through a hard time, we're not thinking about serving God. Most of us aren't. And we're not thinking about staying faithful to God and doing the thing we know is right. We're th- all we're thinking about is, God, when are you going to solve my problem? When are you going to change this situation? And what the prophets would say to us today is, that's not any of your business. That's not even on God's radar screen. I mean, God's going to deal with it, but it, sh- it shouldn't be for you to know how he's going to do it or when he's going to do it. And what these prophets would say to us is, you need to stay faithful. Keep serving the Lord. Don't stop serving the Lord. I read a quote just last night that said, the secret of patience is doing something else. The secret of patience is doing something else in the meantime. In other words, the way to be patient is to stop thinking all the time about your problem. And to start thinking about God and thinking about how can I serve God and what does God want me to do. And there's something about serving God that helps us to get our mind right. A few weeks ago, Jimmy and Lynn Hurwitt gave me a book entitled Courageous Faith by Charles Stanley. And Dr. Stanley is the pastor of First Baptist Church in Atlanta and one of the men who have just been a tremendous blessing in my life. And this is his newest book and I've just started reading it. 
And if you're looking for a good book to read, we'll have that in our bookstore soon, but, but you might want to think about buying that. It is a tremendous story. He's just telling about all the things he's been through in his life. And in one of the chapters, he talks about the impact that his grandfather had on him. His grandfather was a Pentecostal preacher, loved God with all of his heart, and he tells this story about his grandfather and something that he experienced. Now, I'm going to say I have charismatic people in my family and lots of friends who are Pentecostal. And let me just say this. The Pentecostal people know how to go to church. I mean, they're not inhibited. If they came to the typical Baptist church, they would say, is every, are y'all okay? Are y'all sick? Is, is, is something, what's wrong with y'all? I mean, they've got energy and they've got life when they come to church. And this, Dr. Stanley's grandfather was just, he was a fireball. He'd get up there and preach hellfire, brimstone, tell how it is. Well, one day he was preaching about midway through his sermon, and two men walked in the back of the church, and he didn't know them, but he thought, well, I'm glad they came. Maybe today will be the day they get saved, and they sat down over there in their seat, and as it turns out, these men were drunk, and they were very loud. They were disruptive to the service, talking loud to each other, disturbing other people, and this pastor's watching this. And he's thinking to himself, well, they, these men need to get right with God. They need to get saved. So I'm, I'm going to just play like they're not even here. They got louder. It got worse. And so finally, this Pentecostal preacher looked over at them and said, fellas, either shut up or get out. Now, don't we look mild and kind and nice compared to <laughs> shut up or get out? Well, it made them mad. And so they not only got out, they stormed out. He finished his sermon, dismissed the service, went to the back that country church, and he was shaking people's hands while they were coming by, and getting, everybody had left, and he was getting ready to go back to his office, get his stuff, and then go home. Two deacons came to him, and the deacon said, Pastor, those two men you just kicked out of the service are back, and you made them very mad, and they're back, and they, they both have butcher knives, and they've just told us and others in the church that they've come back to kill you, and we recommend that you go back into your office, we're going to call the police, and don't you leave here till we can have police for you. Well, these Pentecostal preachers are a little bit different than we are. He said, no, I don't need a police. God's called me to preach, and God's going to protect me. The difference in them and us, we have the police here all the time. I mean, we look like weaklings compared to these guys. He said to those deacons, I don't need the police. God's going to protect me. He went back in his office, got his jacket or whatever else, Got down on his knees and prayed and said, God, you've called me to preach the gospel. That means you're going to protect me all the way to heaven, and I'm asking you to protect me. And he had to walk right out that same door at the front of the church, and he knew those men were standing there on either side of the walkway. They had butcher knives. He said, God, I'm asking you to protect me from these men who are trying to do me harm. And this man walked through that, out the church, out the door, and here the men were. And he said as he walked by them, it was like they froze in their tracks. They couldn't do anything. He walked right past them, got in his car, drove home. He and his wife were having lunch together. About 20 minutes later, he, they heard sirens. Sirens were playing in town, ambulance, police, whatever. And so he said to his wife, I'm going to go just check to see what this might be. It was a small community. Maybe one of our members has been in an accident. He walked down the street. These two men had gotten back in the, the car, and they were still drunk. And they drove, and they hit a light pole. And an electrical wire fell out of the top of that light pole, hit the car, caught the car on fire, and both of them died. Now, there are two lessons in that story. Number one, don't come to church drunk. <laughs> and number two, don't mess with a Pentecostal preacher, right? 
Now, I'm not saying they died because of what they were trying to do. That Only God knows that. But I'm saying the point of the story is not how they died, but how that preacher lived. And he lived staying faithful to what God had called him to do. And that's what we need to do just to stay faithful to God. Today, we have the Jerusalem Project. It's going to be in the, it's set up in the commons area. We're trying to go to every house in a five-mile radius of our church. And if you could help us with that today, we're in Clear Lake. If you could go today or any time this week. That's an opportunity. You say, well, I'm having a problem. Yeah, but there's an opportunity to stay faithful to serve God and to do what he would have you to do. And so we need to remember that uh, those prophets would say to us, you just stay faithful. And then the third example he gives is James. In verse 11, I mean, not James, but he gives Job. Look in verse number 11. Indeed, he says, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And so he's saying, hey, you going through this problem? Remember the farmer, he would say, be patient. Remember the prophets, they would say, stay faithful. But remember Job and all he went through, everything he lost, his health, his wealth, his family, he lost it all. And yet God had an intended end. God had something for Job on the other side of that tragedy that was absolutely fantastic. And at the end of Job's life, he had gained twice as much as he had to begin with. And so Job would say to us today, now think about what I'm saying. You still listen and say amen. The farmer would say, be patient. The prophets would say, stay faithful. Don't you dare stop serving God. And Job would say to us, the best is yet to be. I know you can't see it in the middle of what you're going through, but sometimes Job would say to us, God does his greatest good when we are going through our greatest difficulty. I was in a restaurant over the weekend, and a family from our church came up to say hello to me as they were leaving, and they were telling me about their son who just graduated from high school a, couple, a year or two ago, and he had wanted to go to this private university in another state, fine school, but very expensive In fact, this particular school, the total price, it ends up to be $60,000 a year, $240,000 for a four-year degree. And so that's, he had his heart set on it and he, his grades were good and his parents were, had worked and saved and, and they were not going to be able to pay for all that just with what they had saved, but with loans and maybe him getting a job or them doing extra work, who knows what all. They thought they could maybe make this possible for their son. And so he's in the process of applying, and he actually gets accepted to the school. Well, as this is happening, the father had an accident at work where he hurt his knee really bad. Had to have surgery, out of work. I'm sure he had some type of disability insurance, but he was not making anywhere near the salary he had made when he was working full time. And so this family somehow communicated to this university in Georgia. They said, listen, our son has been accepted to your school. It's been his greatest desire, and it was going to be a stretch for us because it's so very expensive, but we were going to try to make it work. But uh, we just want you to know that husband's, the father said, I've, I've injured myself. I'm out of work. My income has been greatly reduced. And so unless there's some kind of, an, uh, some, some kind of scholarship or something, that, that we don't see how we're going to make this we're going to be able to work. A few weeks went by, they received a letter back from that school, and in essence, the university said to them, we're so sorry to hear about your injury. 
we're so sorry that you are out of work and your salary, you're not receiving your full benefits now and you're having to live on disability. And we fully understand how uh, you couldn't pay this type of expenses. They said, but we have a pay scale here at our university that helps us determine scholarships. And it said, since you're out of work, your income is now so low that your son has just qualified for, I believe it was for a full scholarship for all four years at this university. And so here's an example of a man thinking, I've hurt my knee, I'm out of work, there's no way. And God's in heaven, God didn't cause him to hurt his knee, God didn't cause him to miss work, but God's in heaven. See, remember this, friend, in life, where man rules, where Satan rules, where circumstances rule, watch this, God overrules, God overrules. And that's why I always say we're not at the mercy of another person. We're not, at the per- we're not at the mercy of circumstances. We're not even at the mercy of the devil. We're at the mercy of God. God is sovereign. God is on his throne. And when, God, when, when this happened, God said, I know you can't see what I'm about to do, but I'm about to take this tragedy and make it possible not only for your son to go to this school, but I'm going to make it possible where you don't have to pay all that money for him to go. Now, that's God. So, The person here today who says, John, I need God to come through for me in this situation of my life. I'm saying to you today, he will come through one way or another. You say, well, that pastor, what if they'd have killed him with those butcher knives? I guess God wouldn't have come through. No, had he been killed that way, he would have gone to heaven as a martyr and he'd have gotten even a greater reward. See, where man rules, God overrules. You need to remember today these three things. Be patient. Stay faithful, the best is yet to be. Say that with me. Be patient, stay faithful, the best is yet to be. You leave here, you go out to lunch, or you get back with your family. What did John preach about today? What was the sermon about today? Well, I don't remember the title of it. Well, I don't need to know the title, but what was it about? Well, if you want it in a nutshell, here was what his sermon was about. Ready? Let's see if you can say it. Number one, be patient. Number two, stay faithful. Number three, The best is yet to be. You believe that? Say amen. Father, take those three truths. Seal them to our hearts. Make it a part of who we are. And God, whatever any of us may be facing today, may we leave here today, God, with a totally new conviction and commitment to be patient and wait on you, to stay faithful, to serve you as best we can while we're facing this. And God to believe with all of our hearts that no matter which way the ball bounces and which way things play out, the best is yet to be because you always overrule anything we may face in life. That is such practical advice that we find in the Word of God. That is the prescription of how to handle difficult times. God tells us in His Word, be patient, wait on me, let me address your situation. Let me solve your problem in my own time and in my own way. And then God says, stay faithful. Do what you can where you are. You may not can do everything you wish you could, but you can do something for God. That's what those prophets would say to us. You just stay faithful and serve God the best you can. And then the Bible says, remember, the best is yet to be. And listening, friend, what you're going through today may be very difficult. You may be facing the most serious situation in all of your life, but the Bible says if you will trust God, He has a way of bringing incredible good 
out of incredible bad. And the best is yet to be. God is not leading us backwards. God is leading us forward. God is leading us into something better than we've had in the past. And so I just encourage you to just keep moving forward with God. Keep trusting Him. Keep serving Him the best you can. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, did you know it may be that God has allowed you to face the situation you're now facing so that He could get your attention and so that you would turn to Him and be saved? Would you just pray this prayer now? Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me and I trust you to do it. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, He has heard you, He has answered you, He has saved you, and He is going to begin to do something fantastic in your life. May He bless you in a special way today. Peace by Believing is an extension of the ministry of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. If you would like more information on how you can have peace with God, go to our website, peacebybelieving.org, and click on the Spiritual Growth tab. If you've received God's peace today by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at peacebybelieving.org. Thank you for listening today, and we pray that you have a blessed week.